If you've got your Bibles, you might like to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. And I have, uh, as, as we often like to do at this time of year, just an end of year devotion, a focus for us. I actually think that the last Sunday of a year is a unique opportunity. So often we look for the new, the first Sunday. What's happening? Anyone ready for a new year? Few of us are ready. Few of us are uncertain. But we have a unique opportunity on this Sunday to finish well. And I'm going to talk about that this morning, but before we do anything else, let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for the year that has been, and we do want to take a moment to look back before we look forward. We acknowledge that it is so easy to be a people always looking for the next thing, the new thing, what's happening, what's around the corner. And there's certainly a sense in which that is a good thing to be setting our sights on. But Lord, may we never lose sight of the now thing. May we be a people always wanting to meet with you here and now, as, as Jesus, you yourself said. Don't be so focused on tomorrow. What's it going to bring? What's going to happen? Tomorrow will have enough worries and hopefully goodness of its own. But help us to be a people who know what it is to live in what you're saying now, to be a now people. This is the day of salvation. This is the time and season. You are at work today as you have been this year, as you will be tomorrow and as we head into 2020. Thank you for all that is to come. But this morning, Lord, finish the good work you've started. Open our eyes to see you speak to our hearts through the power of your spirit, through your scriptures this morning, Lord. Let them come alive in our hearts. We want to be a people who take nothing for granted, who never lose sight of the reality of your goodness and your grace and your love. And help us this morning in the midst of the heat and the smoke and the tiredness and the busyness to incline our ears to you, to hear your voice. Speak to us, I pray. Jesus' name, that your word accomplish all that you desire it to, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, they say the two most important in any race, two, two most important moments in any race are how you start and how you finish. And I've discovered that not many people are good at both. How many people are good starters? Okay, few people are willing to put up their hands. How many people are good finishers? You love nothing more than ticking the things off the list. Looks like we've got more good finishers than good starters. I'm certainly the former rather than the latter. I'm a gifted starter, but much to the frustration of my wife, not often a good finisher. As she'll come into the garage, she'll say, sweetheart, are you really beginning a new project? And I say, absolutely. And my particular perspective is you can never have too many projects <laughs> at one particular point in time. But let's move on. That's not the message this morning. There is a new year around the corner, and I would love nothing more than to encourage each one of us here to finish the year well, to finish with passion and purpose, and certainly the Apostle Paul, he's someone who 
continually gave us this analogy of a race, to press forward as one who looks to gain the prize, as, as an athlete, finish well. And this is a time of year, as I've said, that for me personally, often I like to spend a moment just reflecting. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't already, see if you can find some time before the new year comes. And of course, we'll gather next Sunday. And that's always an exciting time to think, what does the Lord have in store for us to start well a new year? You see, it's worth us remembering that it's God himself who has ordained times and seasons. He's the God who put the planets in motion. He's the one who ordains seasons and years. And I believe in many ways it is God's gift to us on a daily basis, on a, a yearly basis, in the midst of seasons for us to be a people who are not always looking back and not getting stuck in the past, but who learn the secret of taking stock. If you want a great passage of Scripture, we're not going there this morning. I've given you the, given you the address of 1 Corinthians, but Psalm 90. I preached on that, I think, last year or the year before. This Psalm of Moses, the only Psalm attributed to him. And he talks throughout the Psalm of seasons, times, days and nights, the year and the measure of man. And in verse 12, there's this wonderful phrase. He says, God, this is him looking back, the end of his life. Lord, teach us to number our days that we might gain or that we might achieve a heart of wisdom. There is wisdom in being able to number our days, and that word itself means to, to weigh, to measure, to take stock, to evaluate. What are we spending our lives upon? And what perhaps do we need to recalibrate, allow God to redirect as we head into a new year? Dwight Moody, the famous preacher, he said many years ago, our biggest fear should not be failure, but at succeeding at things that don't really matter. Not so much failure, but it's succeeding at things that in the light and the glory of eternity are of little or no value. And so I want to give us one question just to help us in this process, and it comes from what I'm sure is a familiar passage of Scripture to us. I've said 1 Corinthians, but come with me to chapter 13. Paul, of course, here is writing to the, the church at Corinth, the Corinthians, this strategically located church, the centre of trade. They were a centre of religion. They were a centre of materialistic indulgence. One particular commentator described Corinth as this. It jumped out at me. I thought it was interesting. A city that was intellectually alert materially prosperous, prosperous, but morally corrupt. Intellectually alert, materially prosperous, but morally corrupt. Perhaps we could draw some parallels to other cities that we know. And he comes with one particular goal in mind, and I want to give us the context of the passage very briefly to enable it, hopefully, to have a greater weight as we read it together. But in chapter 1, verse 17, Paul says right up front and centre that he wrote this letter. His intention was simply and purely to proclaim the gospel, a gospel that he said is foolishness to those 
who were perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. In chapter 2, he goes on to say, in fact, not only am I preaching the cross, but it is all I am preaching. I was determined to know nothing amongst you other than this glorious gospel. And then he'll outwork in the, uh, the following chapters. He'll go through some difficult territory, talking about bickering, talking about some issues of sin that were in the life of the church. And he brings it all to this particular crescendo. And I know, I'm sure, as I said, it's a familiar passage. You can probably guess already where it is that we're heading. But let me set it up this way. If, if that was your intention to write to the Corinthian church, as it was certainly Paul's, he says, I'm, I'm bringing you the gospel. I'm bringing you the, the message of the cross. It's the power of God unto salvation. What sort of a pinnacle? What, what is the crescendo that Paul will reach? What's the ultimate goal? What is it more than anything that Paul is after to be produced in the lives of these Corinthian believers? With that in mind, let's read this passage. He says at the end, last verse of chapter 12, and yet I will show you a still more excellent way. Probably a better translation might be the still more excellent way. It is the way on a list of one, not a in the midst of many. And then 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, who wouldn't mind a little bit of all faith? And all mysteries and all knowledge, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Verse 3, if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Remember, he says, I have nothing, I gain nothing. In verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What a wonderful phrase that is. I will know fully as I have been fully known. Verse 13, one more verse. So now faith, hope, and love abide. Some translations say remain, others endure. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And chapter 14, the first two words. You see, this is a passage that 
You'd, you almost hesitate to even touch because there's so much richness in there. I'm not even going to suggest that we try and analyse this passage in detail. I simply want us to focus on two words. Hopefully we can at least get through those this morning. And here they are, chapter 14, verse 1. This is his conclusion. So pursue love. Pursue love. Pursue love. That's my message this morning. That's my encouragement to us. Pursue love. Now that word for pursue there, it's not talking about a task you accomplish. It's not talking about a box you tick. It's literally talking about making something the pursuit of your life. That is your goal. That is the road, the only road that you're walking upon. Your single and sole aim and desire. That's what it means to pursue. Pursue love. Make it the path you walk upon. Make it the course you plot in your life. It's not something you do. It's a way that you live your life. And as I said, as we, as we stand here on this tension between one season passing, one year coming to a conclusion, and one year about to begin, I said there was a question. And this is the question, if you want to write it down. It's fine. I want you to remember it. Simply this. Have you loved well? Have you loved well? You see, there's a number of ways that you and I could evaluate our years. And for me, if I'm to go to my natural predispositions, as perhaps some of you would be, I'd be going to my to-do list. Now, what have I ticked off? What have I done? What have I accomplished? What tasks can I say with some certainty I've completed them? Others perhaps that I haven't touched or only partially complete. There's, there's many places that we could go to to evaluate our year. And as I said, recalibrate our hearts for a new year. But think about that question for a moment. Have you loved well? You see, Paul is giving the Corinthians here not just a nice passage for them to read at wedding services, not a nice plaque for them to stick upon the, the fridge that they might view every day. It's not just pretty poetic language. This is a call and this is a charge. He's saying, if you don't have love, you have nothing. So I've come to preach the gospel. I've come to tell you the truth and the reality of this glorious message of grace, of who Jesus is, the Savior who's come to purchase your redemption and your freedom. And this is the one thing that it needs to produce in your life. This is the one litmus test to know if you're on the right path. It's not your devotion. It's not your commitment to read and know scriptures. It's not your holiness. There's nothing wrong with any of those. But he gives the Corinthian church a challenge. And not just the Corinthian church, but the believers in the church. Are you loving well? Because that's where the rubber hits the road. And without that, he said, it's of no effect. You can have all faith. You can have 
all wisdom and knowledge and understanding. But if you have no love, it is worth nothing. Not even a little, not even something, nothing at all. And, you know, I think there is a reality to this. We think, well, what, why love? Why is, you know, isn't there a number of other things that are important? I think what Paul is trying to say is that if you have love, then you have all those other things thrown in as well. If you love something, then there is devotion. There's a desire, passion for holiness. There's a pursuit to know his word. There's this desire just to spend your life in prayer and, and worship. If you have love, you get everything else thrown in. But if you don't have love, then nothing else you have is worth anything. So just stay on this tangent for a little bit because Paul doesn't just give this to the Corinthians as some abstract theology, some nice principle. He says, first of all, that if you don't have it, you have nothing. But then he gives them what I think, and I'm sure we all agree, is one of the most incredible and powerful and important definitions of love. So with that question in mind, have you loved well? Let's look at what Paul says that looks like. Have you loved well? Verse 4, love is patient and love is kind. Have you loved well? Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Some translations, I like this, it says it keeps no record of wrongs. Keeps no record of wrongs. There's no record. There's no file in the back shelf that nobody touches. A little filing cabinet of all the wrongs, of all the issues, of all the stuff, just so I can pull it out, wheel it out, the appropriate moments. Have you loved well? Are you coming through this year with a record of wrongs? Or have you loved well? Verse 6, it does not rejoice with wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Have you loved well? Do you love the truth? Is there just this desire to live for holiness and this passion? It's the burning reality of my heart to live with a passion for him. Have you loved well? Have you loved well? And if not, what, what is it that perhaps has hindered your love? Now we, um, as perhaps some of you have done over this past week, that my wife and I always remind ourselves that this period is not a holiday. Never feels like a holiday by the time you do Christmas and obviously I'm still on duty and working through that time and there's just catch up after catch up after catch up and we love seeing people but it is an exhausting period. But nevertheless, there's a list of things to do that we kind of tick off as we go through and very slowly getting through some of the to-do items but it's that period in time where often we start clearing up the piles of 
stuff, kids' school bags and clothes that at the end of the year they just get kind of lumped in there and going through my car and finding old dance bags and, you know, who knows what that has just been left until we had a bit of space to deal with. And inevitably, every year, somewhere in some bag, although you've said to the kids, make sure you get all of the food out of your bags, all of the lunch boxes, everything else, inevitably somewhere, maybe tucked under the seat. And sometimes, in all honesty, it's not until... You get that smell that is so bad that you can just taste it every time you open the car door. And I can put up with a degree of smell. I'm like, I don't have time. I'll just push through. Eventually, it gets too much and you open it up and it's its own living organism. You could probably chart it, discover some sort of new creature. But you see, so often we have this tendency and this habit. We're like, oh, we'll just, just pile it up, just Put up with it, just don't deal with that kind of stuff until inevitably it ends up with a stench you can't bear or contracting some strange illness as a result of your lack of dealing with issues. But I want to encourage us that there is this unique opportunity as we end a year to go to some of those places. Have, have we loved well? Have we loved well this year? And if not, if there's been some things, and let's be honest, I can't go through that list without feeling like I'm guilty on pretty much every single one of them. That's the reality of who we are, is that we don't always get it right 100% of the time. But there is a capacity for us to to go and to, to get rid of that stuff. Don't go into the new year just putting things off, just putting up with a stench. We can just deal with, we'll put up with it later on. Don't go into the new year with a record of wrongs, with a filing cabinet you bring forth. Don't go into the new year with sin hanging around. Okay, I've messed up, but let's deal with what needs to be dealt with before we move in. To the new season. See, there's something about love, and let me let me <clears throat> really quickly just give you a couple of these thoughts. Just kind of shotgun preaching, throw them at you. If they help, great. If they don't stick, that's fine. And then I want us to move into a time of just communion and allowing the Lord to do what He needs to do for us to be able to finish the year well and really move with passion and purpose into the new year. But there's something about this reality that centres and it simplifies and it supplies. So easy in life. And Jesus came and he made it really clear. There was all the Pharisees and the teachers, had all their commands and all their laws, and on more than one occasion, Jesus challenges them, says, what is the most important commandment? What is it? And we all know it, but at times we all struggle to live it. Simply this, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Some translations add strength there as well. That is the center of the story, this God who loves us, who predestined us, in love, and who came to demonstrate his love 
for us. And I want to encourage us as we begin a new year. For me, my natural predisposition is to say, okay, here it is. As I said, I'm a great starter. Unashamedly, I'm a wonderful starter. So I'll have at least a dozen, if not more, a few dozen, as many as I can possibly fit on the pieces, the piece of paper, a to-do list. And by the way, it just grows as the year goes on. Just add projects to it. As many as I possibly can. Here's all the things that I'm going to do this year. Here's all the ways I'm going to change. Here's all the things that I'm going to do differently. And I want to suggest that perhaps we need to refocus, to centre and to simplify upon the one thing that really matters. How can we love well? Maybe we get the worship team back out now. We could go on. But let me just give you this last example. You know, there's, there's such a propensity for us, and I'm speaking honestly and openly about my own life, for us to get caught up in all the trappings, in all the little bits and pieces that we lose sight of that main thing. We have, uh, I'm sure it's God's great gift of grace to my wife and I, but we have three of our four kids who are terrible eaters. They will not eat anything that even remotely resembles, looks like, tastes like, or is, is even the colour of a vegetable. Won't go near it. I was sitting there at um, Boxing Day lunch and my wife had prepared this beautiful table. She said, we're just going to you know, kind of have this grazing plate of delicious foods and you know, there were salads and hams and turkeys and then there was this little corner there of just sweets and chocolates and nibbles. Who wants to have a guess what the kids went straight for? Straight for that. Straight for that little hit that junk food gives us. And avoiding, like the plague, any kind of decent nutrition that would actually help their bodies grow and develop and mature. And I think as, as churches and as people, so often we can be like that. We, we just we chase the latest buzz, the latest hype, the latest sugary drink, the latest podcast, the latest speaker. And the problem is that there's almost this artificial high. It feels good for a moment, but then we're left feeling empty because we've not let the main thing become the main thing. For 2,000 years, there's a God who radically demonstrated His love for us on a cross. And He said that the heart of the gospel is we love because He's first loved us. We go after all the trappings, all of the reality of everything else, and we forget to allow the main thing to be the main thing. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? As I said, we're going to move into communion. Let me just read Ephesians chapter 3 as we bring this to a conclusion. This is Paul's prayer 
to the Ephesian church. And he says this, Apostle Paul says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. He's talking about having roots that go down deep. Established means you're growing up. It's, it's your life source, your supply that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And I do want to give us intentionally a moment. It's not going to be a long moment, but I'm hoping it will be an intentional moment for us to ask as we look back and as we look forward. First of all, we've read this, this high call that Paul gives to the Corinthian church. If you, if you miss this, you've lost everything. If there's no love... Everything else is of no value whatsoever. So honestly, just in this moment before the Lord, the question is simply this. Have you loved well? Have you loved well? As you think back to the past year, maybe longer, have you loved well? your life was measured by that that test of as the apostle paul puts it pursuing love making love it's it's not the box you tick it's it's the very path it's the it's the focus it's the mission where are you are you are you front and center you're running the race or maybe we've been drawn aside off on a detour Maybe there are, for some of us, there's some things that we do need to deal with. Those stinky lunch boxes. And this is the moment before we move into the new year of God just saying, you know what? Let's deal with that. Why would you want to leave that and bring that into a new year? Let's deal with that. That's the thing this morning. That in his love and his mercy, he wants to just come and deal within our hearts and lives. And you know, I can't think of a better way to do that than around the communion table. We do this each and every Sunday, not with a sense of religion and ritual, but with such joy. Why wouldn't we want to gather and break bread? Just the simplicity of it, but the power of it. As we eat the bread, remembering that He is our life. He is our sustenance. As we drink the cup, remembering that the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed and forgiven us of all our sin. That He's broken every chain. That whatever there is, this side of a new year, that needs to be dealt with, that needs to be washed away, that needs to be healed, that there's power in His blood this morning 
to accomplish, not just to save us, but to set us free. We come to remember Jesus, the covenant that he's made with us. We come to receive his grace. And I hope in particular this morning we come to recommit our lives to love well. I pray that at the the top of your list, as the sole pursuit and goal, as we head into this new year, what, what if we as a people, individually and corporately, what if that was the burning goal and desire? This is a year, 2020, where we commit to love well. commit to love well, to pursue God with everything within us, to love, to forgive, to deal with the issues? What if that was our sole desire, goal and aim? How different would we be individually and as a church come this time next year? So if the Lord's just you know, revealing some things, feel free to stay there. I'm going to need some help just at the front and the back to administer communion. You'd be very welcome to go to the station at the back or to come forward. We're just going to sing a song of worship. And when you're ready, you can come forward, you can kneel, you can come by yourself, you can come as a family. However you'd like to do that, that's fine. But we're going to join as family in your own time around the Lord's table. For those looking for prayer ministry, after you take the bread and the cup, if you just come forward, if there are things that the Lord is just revealing in your heart, then please do come and get prayer. And there's a prayer team who would be honoured to pray with you and stand with you about any and every prayer need that you have. So let's sing together. Let's join around the Lord's table if you're visiting and you want to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ, remember who He is and what He's done, then this is an open table.